3: You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about
1: Colombia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon Jungle, Colombia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the
3: questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard
1: McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Montpós, Bolívar. That's five and a half hours south from Cartagena. Follow the Magdalena River. Along the sweltering lowlands of the Caribbean coast to this UNESCO World Heritage Site, and that's where I find myself right now. Uh, this is episode 387 of the Columbia Co- Calling podcast, and this week's episode is part two of what we began last week talking to La Primera Línea, or the front line, the youths involved in the protests in southwestern Colombia, so Cali and Popayan in particular. So two of last week's guests are back, of course, maintaining their anonymity for security reasons. Of course, we discuss What they are hoping to achieve in Colombia and how they see things progressing, the elections in 2022 and beyond. Of course, we condone no violence, and if you insist, I cannot give you the names of these uh, protesters because I myself do not have them either. So, MCI and Michael are up in the US as well, and they're helping us with the connections and indeed the translations as they did in 386. And then We talk to Monica Hurtado, who's in Minnesota, a Colombian who's been there for, well, (laughs) over a dozen years, I think around 20 years now. But she talks to you in English and in Spanish about how Colombians can help their country from overseas. Then, of course, we speak back to MCI, who shares with us that there have been serious problems in trying to register your ID cards overseas to vote in the 2022 election. So this is something you should be well aware of. And before that and after that, we then go into the issue of the German tourist Rebecca Sprosser, I think is how you pronounce her name, who was deported from Colombia about a week and a half ago for, well, the government says she engaged in terrorist activities and activities of vandalism uh, and, of course, overstayed her visa. Uh, But really, she, well, she joined the front line and protested in Cali. So she was there during violent protests. Whether she was involved in the violence becomes, well, I guess a rather of a side point, but we read her letter to Colombia, the letter that she wrote on her Facebook page in Spanish. So first we read it in Spanish and then it's translated into English. We read her letter, which is also in memory to her friend uh, who accompanied her in Cali, a Caleno, who tragically his life was cut short in it. what must have been only a contract killing because Well, 13 bullets, I can't see that as being something by chance. So absolutely horrific news out of Cali, but one upon which to reflect. of course, you can be in agreement with uh, Rebecca, Rebecca's participation in Cali. And of course, you can be totally against it. That's absolutely fine. But let's listen to what she has to say as well in her letter. This week, of course, we launched on Monday, that's yesterday, we launched the first audio uh, news drop. Okay, Emily Hart, the journalist here, our newscast journalist for over a year, came up with the excellent idea of this news drop to subscribers on our Patreon campaign, patreon.com, Columbia Calling. For $1 a month, you get Columbia's news delivered to your WhatsApp account on your telephone, and you get digested Columbia news in under 5 minutes. No gimmicks, no spam, just the news delivered by uh, Emily Hart. So an excellent opportunity for you out there to sign up for this offer. So I'm going to go away now. There'll be news now from Emily Hart, and then we'll be back with La Primera Linea, MCI, Michael, Monica Hurtado, our protesters, and then a reflection on the German tourists participation in the protests in southwestern Colombia. Thank you again for listening. Don't go away.
2: I'm Emily Hart, and these are your top stories from Colombia for the week of August 2nd, 2021. This week, two humanitarian crises have emerged in the Department of Antioquia. On the northeastern coast of Colombia, around 15,000 people are stuck on the Panamanian border at Necocli, many of whom are trying to reach the United States by crossing Central America. President Iván Duca has requested regional collaboration to deal with the crisis, while food and water shortages have been reported. According to the mayor of Necocli, this is the biggest migration crisis the region has ever faced. In land, in Itwango, 4,000 people from 31 villages were displaced last week amid a dispute over territory between members of the FARC's 18th Front dissidents and the paramilitary group Clan del Golfo. The government has sent in troops to the affected villages and people have started to return to their homes, though many remain in shelters receiving humanitarian aid. The situation was exacerbated by reported cases of coronavirus among the displaced and rainy season weather, which caused around 50 landslides, blocking road access as well as poor visibility, preventing access by helicopter. Colombia's national protests, known as the Paro, began three months ago, suffering an extremely violent state response, much of which was focused in the city of Cali. A damning new Amnesty International report verifies the extremity of the state response which included police shooting live rounds into crowds of protesters, armed civilians working alongside complicit police forces, arbitrary arrests, attacks on indigenous process, sexual assault of protesters by police, and a militarised response driven by the policies of President Ivan Duca. The violence left at least 79 people dead and more than 1,900 people injured. The protest was sparked by a tax reform bill in April, but quickly mushroomed into a widespread anti-government mobilisation protesting poverty, inequality, poor governance and widespread violence. Colombia has now seen more than 50 massacres this year. Meanwhile, German national Rebecca Linda Spresa was removed from Colombia by the migration authorities, having spent months covering the protests in the city of Cali. Human Rights Watch said that the regulations under which she was removed from the country do not meet international standards. 26 year old Colombian Sebastian Bonilla died this week, having saved Sperza's life on the 22nd of July in what was reportedly an attempt on her life. A gun was fired repeatedly in their direction, and Bonilla was hit by 13 bullets. He died in hospital. General Mario Montoya, commander of the army during the second government of President Uribe, will face charges of aggregated homicide in relation to extrajudicial executions known as false positives after he refused to cooperate with Colombia's Special Justice Court, the HEP. Several testimonies link him directly to pressure on soldiers to mount combat kills during Colombia's civil conflict, one of the factors that contributed to the practice of killing civilians and claiming them as conflict casualties. Coca crops have decreased 7% since 2017, but their productivity has increased considerably, according to the UN Office on Drugs and Crime. Due to improved health of coca bushes the increasing technical skill and capacity of Colombian processing, and the higher quality of chemical inputs. After Spain reported that 90% of the false PCR tests they detected were from Colombians, Spain has restricted entry from Colombia between July 27th and August 9th. Those wishing to enter Spain will now have to undergo a mandatory quarantine. Cases are, however, still falling in Colombia, now at less than 10,000 daily new cases, down from highs of 30,000 in June. Colombia has suffered 120,000 deaths in a population of around 50 million. 25% of the population has now been fully vaccinated. Those were your top Colombia stories for the week.
1: And we're back here. This is episode 387 of the Columbia Calling podcast. As I mentioned previously, our very special guests are the same as those from last week. We'll be talking to MCI, Uh, she'll be translating as well as Michael. There'll be our members of the Primera Linea in Popayan and uh, Cali talking to us from their respective. Towns and cities, and indeed, we'll be speaking also to Monica Hurtado up in the United States, who will be telling us, informing Colombians out there, how they too can help the situation in Colombia from overseas. We'll be talking also about voting, how to register uh, for the elections in 2022, Colombians overseas, if the problems, and indeed, we'll reflect at the end on the expulsion of the German Rebecca Sprosser, who was, well, who affiliated herself with the front line of demonstrations in uh, Cali in May and June, and then, uh, of course, was deported from Colombia very recently, and, of course, surrounding her deportation, there was some very tragic news indeed so i'm going to hand over now to mci and the others and every now and then i'll jump in with a few comments here and there but this is part two of what we started last week about the primera linea in colombia what people want what people are hoping to force about with change and protests so keep on listening
4: thank you everybody so we're back um In this time, we're going to do the same uh, thing we did previously. It's going to be bilingual, Spanish and English. Las Juventudes de Popayán, Cauca, siguen invitando a todas las personas a unirse a su campaña universal acciones de amor por Colombia, la cual tiene como objetivo principal unir esfuerzos en pro de la paz a nivel local, nacional e internacional. Ese proyecto permitirá crear y ejecutar actividades de educación para liberar la conciencia y actuar en favor de la comunidad sobre la situación actual de violencia en el país y las posibles soluciones. Escuchemos.
3: I'm going to translate in English. That is, the Pope Ayan youth continue to invite all people to join their movement, which is named the Universal Campaign, Actions of Love for Colombia. The main objective of the movement is to unite efforts in favor of peace, both locally, nationally, and even internationally. Uh, The project aims to allow and and to create mostly educational activities, the the primary objective being to just raise awareness uh, and have peaceful acts within the community and bring about some possible solutions with the violent situation that's, that's currently happening in the country.
4: Y ahora vamos a invitar a Sonsu. Tzu. Él va a hablar sobre cómo vamos de aquí.
5: ¿De dónde iniciamos ahora? La violencia no puede continuar. Estas son algunas de las soluciones que proponemos para el siguiente gobierno, porque el presente no escucha. Nuestro punto de partida fue iniciar algunas acciones pedagógicas de amor por Colombia, Cauca y Colombia. Popayán, Cauca y Colombia, ¿verdad? Por ejemplo... Pidiendo a los manifestantes que salgan a las calles de manera pacifica. So he says, where do we go from here? The
3: violence cannot continue. We have some solutions that we want to present to the next government because we don't believe the current one is going to listen to us or help us. We're going to begin with educational actions of love. Um, especially for Popayan, Calca, and all of Colombia, we want to encourage peaceful protests. We've created a path for people to continue looking for solidarity and support from our brotherhood worldwide for our country. Where do we go from here?
5: Primero, necesitamos una verdadera reestructuración del SMAT, la policía y el ejército debido a la falta de garantías reales y transparentes. Por ejemplo. Hoy no se puede leer o entender los códigos QR que se añadieron al uniforme de la Policía Nacional, que fue creado con el fin de identificar claramente a un agente de policía. Ahora, si uno de ellos está violando los derechos fundamentales de un civil, este no puede leer el código QR del agente policial, debido a que no sirve para tal propósito. Solo se abre el aplicativo de la página de la Policía Nacional y lo lleva a otras cosas y lo enreda.
3: First, what we need is a true restructuring of the riot police. The riot police in Colombia are named ASMUD. The normal police and the army, and due to a lack of real and transparent guarantees, um, you cannot even understand or read the QR codes that were added to the uniforms of the national police. So, many of you probably don't know this, but. In Colombia, the the police officers have always worn uniforms that have IDs clearly all over them, even on the front and the back, and you can um, identify any individual officer by their ID. And so by this means, the officers can be held accountable for their actions. Recently, the country has sort of restructured the outfits of the police. They gave them these new outfits and they have QR codes on them. And the QR code doesn't individually identify the officer at all. The QR code simply just takes you to the website of the police. So this is really not a good solution for holding the police accountable for the violence that they're they're conducting against the citizens.
5: Para conocer el nombre, rango de cada miembro de la policía de Colombia, se debe registrar el número de la placa de identificación que ya no es visible en sus uniformes como anteriormente lo tenían. En ese orden de ideas, esta nueva discusión. Disposición no representa un cambio significativo que esté ayudando a reportar el excesivo uso de fuerza por parte de la policía. Eso es parte muy importante en la raíz del problema en Colombia. No queremos más heridos, desaparecidos, en extrañas condiciones, falsos positivos, injusticia social, violencia o desigualdad al reclamar nuestros derechos en las protestas pacíficas. Si de verdad se quiere implementar un nuevo sistema de identificación de nuestras fuerzas militares usando la herramienta QR, esta debería estar enfocada en la facilidad para para conocer el historial de la gente de policía, tanto en los operativos como en la vida cotidiana y poder reportarlos cuando atentan contra los derechos humanos. ¿Nos surge una duda? ¿Qué sucede cuando no se tiene celular a la mano y la policía ataca?
3: So he says, in order to know the name and the rank of each member of the Colombian National Police, the number of their ID must be registered. Um, Now, of course, it's no longer visible on their uniforms as it used to previously be. So this new provision does not represent any sort of significant change that's going to help um, in reporting or having holding accountable the police for their actions. This is a part of the root of the problem in Colombia. The youth do not want more people injured, more people to be disappearing or any sort of strange conditions, any more social injustices, violence or inequality um, when demonstrating peacefully. If they if if it was really the goal to implement a new identification system for the police forces using a QR code, then the QR code should be able to identify the individual officer like the old ID used to. So instead, we're, they're now getting less accountability for their actions. And then, so the youth also ask, what happens if you don't have a cell phone at hand or something that can even scan
5: a QR code? Segundo, pedimos apoyo internacional para lograr que las fuerzas militares y policía en general sean juzgadas desde la justicia ordinaria y dado el caso, cada uno de ellos sea llevado de manera individual a la Corte Penal Internacional. Una pregunta inquietante en este momento es, ¿realmente es necesario el uso del arma Venom y un arma calibre 12 que son letales desde todo punto de vista? Ni siquiera deberían usarse tanquetas contra manifestantes con el único propósito de caldear los ánimos de las manifestaciones y así tener la excusa de que fue en defensa propia y de que el país entero contra las guerrillas urbanas. Second,
3: we, the youth, are asking for international support to ensure that the military and police forces in general are judged from the ordinary justice system. If necessary, each one of them should be taken individually to an international criminal court. The disturbing question that we have at this point is is the use of the venom weapon really necessary so for those of you that don't know the venom weapon is a 12 caliber weapon which is a lethal weapon it should not be being used against protesters with the purpose of really just instigating more violence during the protests uh there's an excuse that it's being used in self-defense against urban guerrillas so this is what the government is trying to paint the protesters as—basically, urban guerrillas. So this is their their excuse for using this weapon called venom against the people. He also says, "Wasn't a peace process signed in Cuba in the Santos government, or was it all just political theater?"
5: Tercero, Desmad debe parar de mentir. La violencia genera más violencia. Decir que ESMAD solo actúa en situaciones de vandalismo es una total falacia. Muchas veces hemos visto cómo despliegan todo un operativo para levantar una olla comunitaria que no le hace daño a nadie, incluso envenenando y tirando la comida al suelo, o contra una manifestación cultural, contra movilizaciones pacíficas, en la que se suelen infiltrar policías de civil armados, con el único objetivo de perfilar y atentar contra la vida de los allí presentes. Luego son seguidos y más tarde asesinados, como el ejemplo tenemos a Rebeca Linda Marlín, la joven alemana que estuvo en Puerto Resistencia, en Cali, cuya vida fue salvada por el ya fallecido Joan Sebastián Bonilla. Y como nos cuenta en su carta, ella quiere que el mundo sepa sobre ese lado de la historia. Thirdly, the s
3: must stop lying. So the s is the riot police. Violence is only going to generate more violence. The SMAT is claiming that they are only acting in situations of vandalism, which is a total lie. And many times they have been seen as an entire operation being deployed just to lift a community pot. So for those of you that don't know, a community pot is just a large pot of food that all the protesters can share as a group. Uh, it's not harming anybody for there to be a pot of food. But the SMAT have been found tipping them over, kicking them, poisoning them. So there's really no purpose for anything like that other than to try to harm or kill people. There are also plain armed policemen infiltrating the activities with the sole objective of profiling and threatening lives of those who attend. Then they are followed and killed. And as an example, we have one person named Rebecca Linda Marlene, the German girl that was in
4: Puerto Resistencia.
3: En Cali, whose life was saved by the now dead John Sebastian Benilla. And as she tells us in her letter, she wants the world to know about this story.
5: Cuarto, los jóvenes le hemos apostado al diálogo sin recibir una respuesta positiva de los entes gubernamentales. Lo hemos evidenciado cada vez que alcaldes y alcaldesas y hasta el mismo presidente dejan una silla vacía. Los jóvenes quieren dialogar pero solo reciben estigmatizaciones por las cadenas televisivas al servicio del narcoestado, siendo mal llamados terroristas. Solo reciben allanamientos ilegítimos, detenciones arbitrarias y amenazas de muerte hasta en contra de su familia y atentados sicariales. Las autoridades tachan como violentos, como terroristas, como guerrilleros. Sin embargo, se hacen desde la vista corta cuando adinerados de Cali disparan junto a policías en contra de los manifestantes se hacen los de la vista corta cuando miembros de sus fuerzas abusan de manifestantes e incluso de sus mismas compañeras se hacen los de la vista corta cuando unos miembros de su partido político quedan envueltos en escándalos por lazos con el narcotráfico la corrupción o parapolítica se hacen los de la vista gorda Con el hecho de que el actual presidente tuviera varias reuniones con narcotraficantes en las campañas de su partido.
3: Fourth, we the youth um, have always attempted to dialogue with our government. However, we have not received any respo- any positive responses from them. We have seen how mayors and even the president himself just stand up and, and leave. The only thing that we have received so far is basically a stereotype on TV. Um, Which are the, the, the state really just naming us terrorists. And so now we receive illegitimate detentions, arbitrary arrests and death threats against us and our families. The authorities just have branded us as violent terrorists, guerrillas. And however, they also act short sighted when wealthy people from Cali shoot together with policemen against the protesters. Members of the allied forces are also abusing protesters and even their own colleagues. They turn blind eye when some of the members of their party are involved in scandals due to ties to drug trafficking, corruption or other political scandals. And they also turn a blind eye to the fact that the current president had several meetings with drug traffickers in the campaigns of his own political party.
4: ¿Cómo invertir mejor las ayudas económicas que recibe la Policía Colombiana de Países Extranjeros? Sería muy importante invertir el dinero de la Asistencia Monetaria Internacional en la recuperación de la economía del país. Solo por mencionar algunas entidades, hablamos de los recursos que reciben el Fondo de Desarrollo y Apoyo Económico el control y aplicación de la Ley Internacional de Estupefacientes, el financiamiento militar extranjero, los departamentos de educación y entrenamiento militar internacional. Colombia necesita de manera urgente que el gobierno deje de oprimirnos e e invierta en educación que le permita el libre pensar, que patrocine el deporte como derecho fundamental y alcance en cualquier escenario, ya sea público o privado, que sea de acceso Dado el caso que se dedique un alto porcentaje financiero a la ciudadanía de escasos recursos, comida nutritiva para todos, que no sea modificado comida chatarra, sin los altos costos de venta actual. El gobierno debería invertir en infraestructura y apoyo al campesino de a pie, oportunidades laborales para todos, para todos de manera justa, nada de roscas ni de padrinos. Para acceder a un trabajo, ni padrinos para acceder a un trabajo justo y bien remunerado oportunidades de emprendimientos y necesidad de asfixiarlos con tanta cantidad de impuestos que se le adjudican solo a las pymes a las pequeñas empresas, igualdad para la compra de vivienda digna y la lista sigue y sigue.
3: How can we better invest the financial aid that the Colombian police receive from foreign countries? It would be better to invest the the money from international assistance in recovering the country's own economy. Just some of the things that the money goes to would be economic support and development fund, international narcotics control and law enforcement, which, by the way, gets more than than any other category, at least from the United States, foreign military financing, international military education and training departments. Colombia urgently needs the government to stop oppressing their people and invest in education uh, such that would encourage more free thinking people. Sponsor sports as a fundamental right, make it affordable, whether it's public or private. A high percentage of the the finances should be dedicated to all of the low-income citizens. It should be invested in nutritious food instead of GMOs. It should be affordable and not with all the additional sales costs. Their infrastructure could also be fixed. And I can tell you some of the roads there are pretty treacherous, (laughs) It would be better spent on better job opportunities in a fair way to encourage more entrepreneurs. The, and a big problem with that is they get suffocated with the amount of taxes that they have to pay. Equal housing opportunities, the list goes on and on, small businesses. The money is just basically very, very mismanaged by the government.
4: No más compra de armas para un conflicto armado interno, imaginario y unilateral del gobierno corrupto. En el 2020, por ejemplo... Estados Unidos envió más de 400 millones de dólares para la policía. ¿En qué se invierte ese dinero? Para sorpresa de todos, ese dinero se usó en la compra de armas a países internacionales para usarlas contra los colombianos. Sí, aunque sea cantinflesco, el comentario fue real y lo vivimos estos últimos meses en todo el territorio nacional. Si ese dinero se hubiese invertido sabiamente en las necesidades primarias de la gente, entonces no habría necesidad de estar en conflictos internos.
3: We don't want any more purchasing of weapons for an imaginary and one-sided internal conflict from the corrupt government. In 2020 alone, the United States sent more than $400 million that went towards the police. Where did this money actually get invested into? everyone's surprised that money was used to buy weapons from international countries to use against Colombians yes although it is in that money would be better spent wisely investing in the primary needs of the people rather than in these internal conflicts
4: las acciones perpetradas desde hace más de 200 años hasta hoy solo han traído violencia y más violencia y lo único que las nuevas generaciones verán si no hacemos algo para esta, para esta situación Será un país donde el pensar diferente sea calificado como terrorismo de Estado y un silencio cómplice de la guerra sin fin. Como dije antes, nuestra realidad hoy es que no hay tiempo de llorar a tus muertos porque cada día aparecen nuevos muertos a quien llorar.
3: These actions have been perpetrated for more than 200 years. They have only brought violence and more violence. And the only thing that the new generation is going to see is more violence if we don't do something to stop it. Right now in the country, any contrary thinking to what is the current status quo is classified as state terrorism. The government is silencing the people. It has just resulted in an endless war. The reality today is there is no time to mourn the dead because new dead appear every day.
6: (laughs) Con respecto a las elecciones presidenciales del 2022, lo único que queremos es, primeramente, educar al al votante para que esté más seguro de lo que va a hacer y sean unas votaciones totalmente pulcras, que la corrupción no tenga cabida desde el inicio hasta el fin. Vamos a contarle a nuestros hermanos, a través de talleres pedagógicos, qué es lo que realmente está en nuestras manos para cambiar el rumbo de nuestro país y que la violencia no tenga ninguna oportunidad de entorpecer al país y caminar juntos hacia la Colombia que día a día soñamos todos.
3: Regarding the presidential elections of 2022, we wish to fully educate the voters so that they are conscious about what the the candidate is going to do. The voting should be very neat and transparent, and and there should be no corruption that should take place in any part of it. We wish to tell our people through educational workshops what is really in our hands to change the course of our country, and that violence does not have any part in it. We want to walk together towards the Colombia that we all dream of, day to day.
6: La idea es que en lugar de únicamente dedicarnos a escuchar las propuestas de los próximos candidatos presidenciales, nuestro fin sea el de proponer a doble vía algunas propuestas reales para cambiar nuestra realidad actual. De que verdad, de que sean en verdad atendidas esas necesidades que han sido ignoradas por tantos años y llevadas a cabo en su totalidad, a lo largo del mandato presidencial. Somos el pueblo quien realmente demanda de manera urgente lo necesario en el país a nivel económico, tecnológico, cultural, político, social y de formación educativa, tanto básica como media y superior. Y somos nosotros quienes pagamos el precio para que el Estado haga bien su trabajo, pero eso se ha olvidado por, muchas, por muchos a través de malos gobiernos que han precedido, Mucha gente ni siquiera tiene un conocimiento real de nuestros derechos y deberes que están plasmados en la Carta Magna, y por ello los políticos hacen lo que se desplace con nosotros. Ese abismal desconocimiento hace que los políticos se aprovechen de ella para convertirse en los verdugos que son hoy en día.
3: The idea is that instead of only listening to the proposals of the presidential candidates, our aim would be to propose our own real needs and think of our own current situation in two ways. Those needs that have been ignored for so many years should be truly addressed and carried out in their entirety throughout the presidential term. And that we should know that we are the people who really urgently demand what is needed in the country at an economic technological cultural political social and educational level with both basic middle and higher education and that we are the ones that pay for the state to do all their work this seems to have been forgotten through the many bad governments that have been preceded many people do not even have real knowledge of their rights and duties and that are embodied embodied in the national constitution thus politicians do as they please and their abysmal ignorance makes politicians take advantage of us and to become the executioners that they are today
6: Se necesita un empoderamiento real de conocimiento antes de ir a las urnas. Vamos a educar al votante antes de la ignorancia debe acabar. La realidad de este paro es que ha vuelto a develar de manera cruel y sin pena que la brutalidad policial impera al lado del narcogobierno y aliados corruptos que no quieren escuchar al pueblo. Está tan permeada la corrupción en el Estado que ni siquiera desean respetar los acuerdos de paz firmados en La Habana. Nos preguntamos cada día todos los ciudadanos de a pie qué amamos nuestro país. ¿Quién es realmente la persona encargada de entrenar a la policía? ¿Quién da las órdenes? ¿Cuánto nos cuesta esto al país y qué? A
3: real empowerment of intellectuals and their collectives is needed before going to the polls. We wish to educate the voters beforehand. The ignorance must stop. The reality of this strike is once again revealed in a cruel way. The police brutality is going without penalties. The narco government and corrupt allies do not want to listen to the people. This corruption has so permeated the state. They do not even want to respect the peace agreement signed in Havana. We the young people that love our country ask ourselves every day, who is really the person in charge of training the police? Who gives the orders? How much does it cost? Could it be more reasonably invested in what is really important and not in these giant corruptions?
6: O nally estas conclusiones es Como ya no hay nada que hacer con este gobierno, queremos que los que vengan en el, en el 2022 en adelante sean unas personas con formación integral, idónea, no politiqueros que prometen y olvidan. Necesitamos alguien que escuche a los que eligieron y vean lo que no queremos. Lo que no queremos, por ejemplo, solo unos cuantos cupos en la educación superior no defienden el derecho a la educación. El brindar un subsidio de vivienda con tasas de intereses imposibles de cubrir tampoco defiende el derecho a la vivienda digna. Todo subsidio en Colombia trae una trampa. Salir a las calles a expresar nuestra inconformidad y encontrarnos con un tratamiento de guerra no defiende el derecho de reunirse y manifestarse pública y pacíficamente. Los bimbangs o bolsas de perdigones, cartuchos de gas 37 y 40 milímetros, granadas, fumígenas, todas estas armas menos letales, según la policía, no defienden el derecho a la paz, el cual está consagrado en la Constitución Política de Colombia como un derecho y un deber de obligatorio cumplimiento. Este artículo es el artículo 22. No, no, no necesitaríamos protestar si los políticos cumplieran con lo que prometen antes de las elecciones, lo cumplieran en todo su mandato.
3: One of our conclusions is there is nothing more to do with this government. So we want those who come from 2022 and onward to be people with comprehensive feelings and ethics. Those that have suitable training, not just politicians who make empty promises. We need someone who's going to listen to those who actually elected them. For example, offering just a few places in higher education does not defend the right to education. Partial housing subsidies with interest rates impossible to cover does not defend the right to decent housing. Every subsidy in Colombia has some sort of a catch going with it. Going out into the streets to express our disagreement, but then encountering war treatment does not defend the right to peacefully assemble. These bean bags, which are bags of pellets, The 37 and 40 millimeter gas cartridges, smoke grenades and all of these other non-lethal, quote unquote, weapons, according to the police, do not defend the right to peacefully uh, demonstrate and exercise the political constitution of Colombia. We should not need to protest if the politicians were to keep their promises before being elected and during their period.
6: Finalmente, agradecemos la atención prestada y esperamos que el gobierno y la comunidad internacional apoyen nuestra propuesta de solución a este absurdo conflicto. Las vidas colombianas sí importan.
3: Finally, we thank you for your attention and hope that the next government in the international community support our pro- proposal of a solution to this absurd conflict. Colombian lives matter too.
4: Bueno, muchísimas gracias. Thank you very much. So, so far we have covered how to better invest the financial aid that the Colombian police receive from the countries. We have talked about potentially these demonstrations are going to impact the presidential elections. And now we are going to see how Colombians living abroad are helping the country. Vamos a pasar entonces al punto número cinco. Ya hemos hablado de... Eh, cómo invertir mejor la ayuda financiera que Colombia recibe, especialmente la policía, desde el extranjero. Eh, ya hablamos de, la, de lo que son las eh, demostraciones de ahora del estallido social, cómo van a impactar en las elecciones del 2022, y ahora pasamos a mirar eh, cómo es que los colombianos que viven en el extranjero están ayudando a Colombia. Entonces, eh, un, como un resumen así, eh, Muy breve. Hemos invitado hoy a Mónica Hurtado, quien está trabajando con nosotros en diferentes grupos de diferentes países. Entonces, lo que hacemos nosotros como diáspora es reunirnos en grupos y mirar de qué manera podemos contribuir con lo que nuestros amigos, familias, personas hacen llegar acá. So what we do in uh, abroad is to get together, like all the Colombians get together. And we start discussing what is it that is in our hands that we can do for Colombia with all of these news that arrive from our friends and family. And we get together in different groups. For example, uh, this time I have invited Monica Hurtado. Uh, both uh, are, I mean, all of us are working. When I say all of us means uh, Michaelito, MCI, and Monica are working in different groups in different countries. Uh, she's going to explain a little bit more about it in detail. And in summary, we are uh, working in what is possible for Colombia right now. So we are like kind of the voice that these kids have. We are always trying to see the uh, three sides of the coin, let's say. And so we're going to welcome Monica Otado. Definitivamente es un um, placer
0: poder hablar de lo que estamos haciendo, pero sobre todo de lo que están los jóvenes planteando. So thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to be here and to share what we are doing, but even more to know what's the uh, ideas of young people in Colombia. Eh, Como decía MC, eh, uh, somos... Uh, Colombia, nos hemos juntado Colombianos de muchas partes en viviendo muchas partes por fuera de Colombia y hemos hecho muchísimas cosas eh, distintas dependiendo de los grupos. Eh, So we are a bunch of Colombians in uh, different places in the world uh, trying to do whatever we can do. So I will say we have been collecting the videos, the stories, the narratives of the abuses of human rights that are happening in Colombia. We know that a that is going to be a very important uh, material to, to keep and to be safe, uh, especially because of the high level of impunity in Colombia. So that is something that we have been doing. We have been um, doing fundraising to help uh, the ollas comunitarias, the community uh, paths uh, that they were mentioned earlier, we have been visibilizing uh, uh, all that is uh, going on that we have been uh, having access to, and we know there's is this uh, there's no coverage of the media in, in Colombia, so we know that it has we have been very successful in making this known. Outside of Colombia, uh, we uh, when I say we, <laughs> tons of people. Uh, for example, we have we are in connection in with multiple different uh, organizations, like WOLA, like Latin American Working Group, uh, like uh, Solidarity Collective, or Witness for Peace organizations. Uh, and those are the ones I, I, I know because they are uh, working here in U.S. Uh, there are uh, Colombians in Europe and, and Latin America doing similar work with other organizations in those areas. Uh, so the, what we are is collecting the stories and sharing the stories with uh, politicians and uh in our respective areas, and educating, educating the politicians and uh, other organizations that are doing work uh, defending human rights, for them to understand what is really going on. And based on that, I will say that one of the big successes has been uh, the visit of the Inter-American Human Rights Commission to Colombia, we know that the Colombian government, government were not interested in allowing the commission to go and visit Colombia. And the uh, international pressure coming from uh, multiple places at the same time, massive marches in U.S., but in New York, in London, in um in Valencia, España or Spain. So all those uh, things made uh, possible to have the visit of the Inter-American Human Rights Commission. And we know that that has been, uh, uh, they were there on the ground uh, documenting what um, uh, the government, the Colombian government is doing and, and listening to people who have been at the center of the protest and being um, uh, impacted by the police brutality. So I will say uh, that's um, many of the things we have been doing. I think we are learning every day uh, new things. One thing that is, is changing the, the things we do is that we are trying to listen, especially to the young people kind of doing what they, we expect the government should be doing. So they are the ones that are, in a way, dictating what we can do. So they wanna have a cultural um, a, events. So we fundraise money for that. Uh, they want us to uh, get out the stories that are not being known in Colombia. That's what we we are doing. They are asking for international support. That's what we are doing. So I will say um, what is coming, we don't know yet, but one of the things that uh, we have been hearing and we are very interested in doing now is how we make sure there's international presence in Colombia to have legit elections. How we make sure that uh, whomever is the winner or the, whomever are the winners of elections are the ones elected by the people for real, and to uh, to support the country, not to go to the uh, experiences of the past with uh, fraud and uh, fraud going on. So, in uh, español, les digo así rapidito que les puedo contar más tarde. Uh, todo lo que dije me, me animé y lo dije todo en, en inglés de una vez pero hablando de que la Comisión Interamericana de Derechos Humanos llegó por la presión internacional y la presión de los colombianos que estamos eh, por fuera de Colombia pero una de las cosas que dije que me parece muy importante es que nosotros lo que estamos tratando de hacer es escuchar lo que los jóvenes están diciendo en Colombia lo que los que están protestando están diciendo en Colombia y estamos tratando de seguir ese liderazgo que existe en Colombia ese nuevo liderazgo eh, que el gobierno colombiano no está escuchando entonces no sabemos exactamente qué qué cosas más tendremos que hacer pero estamos escuchando atentamente eh, las ideas y las los sueños y las eh, um, planes que los jóvenes y los las que están protestando en Colombia tienen Y una de las cosas que sabemos que queremos que pase es que haya eh, presencia internacional durante las elecciones para asegurar que las elecciones son legítimas que sea quien sea quien gane o los que ganen ganen en franca lit y
4: no por eh, lo que estamos acostumbrados no al fraude muchas gracias mónica excelente tu intervención como siempre
1: and there we heard from Monica Urdal, up there in the United States, telling us a bit more about how Colombians can help from overseas, uh, indeed writing to their well to Congress, writing to their uh, local politicians, and of course registering to vote we 're going to go into that subject a little bit more now with Mci who 's going to discuss some of the issues that she has faced, trying to register her that 's her ID card because of course we 've heard from Monica that there's anywhere between five and 10 million Colombians living overseas outside of Colombia, and they need to vote. Their voices need to be heard. Their votes need to be cast. So we will uh, hand over now to MCI, and thank you.
4: Yes, thank you, Richard. So the Consulate of Colombia in Atlanta is giving us such a hard time because uh, me, myself, I was trying to register my IT. So it, this process had become very complex. Number one, the website is not friendly at all. Number two, if you uh, find a way to send an email, you have to wait for about 30 days to get an answer back. And number three is like, you have to be so patient on the phone because they never pick up the phone. Now, if you try the chat, it's not working. So nobody's going to help you there with the chat. And then you just, uh, you're so optimistic and you said, okay, let's, let's just try one more time. So you find how to make an online appointment. So you start the process. It allows you to get to a point number three, but then it doesn't give you access to a calendar. So if you don't have access to a date, it doesn't uh, allow you to continue. So you can uh, try many times. We have tried with other people from other states, and they have tried with my ID number. And there is, n- there is nothing wrong with my ID number. There is nothing wrong with my uh, computer. My system is their website. I have tried all and it's not only me, it's many others that have tried too. So we have decided, when I say we, is because there are many of us trying to register our D to be able to vote. So we have decided to go on a journey to Atlanta. Now we live far away from Atlanta, like four or five hours away in our case. So we're gonna take a day and we're going to spend some time, gas, and all what is in court to be able to register this uh, ID. We're going to take a chance, and if they say we can do it, we hopefully will receive a yes or no answer in January 2022.
1: Well, you heard it here. It does sound like a very difficult process to get done, a very difficult process in order to register. And, of course, those people who live far away from a consulate uh, you know, several hours drive, it's time, it's costs, it's, uh, well, it shouldn't be as hard as it is to register to vote. So if you can't do it online, you're going to have to do it in person, and you're going to have to think about how best to do this. But MCI, I want to ask you, is this, do you think this is a some sort of ploy or is it just general inefficiency via the website? Because I, I can tell you on, on my experiences having to try and do the website for my Colombian visa, It's really not very easy indeed. And yes, getting through on the telephone is another whole uh, adventure as well.
4: Well, um, I have heard many complaints. It's not only here, the the Consulate of Atlanta, but also in other states. So yes, the population here is a lot. Uh, I don't think he has been planned. I think he has not been working well before because I did some research. I like to do research. So I went back to some of these um, uh, websites and it says like most of the complaints are the website is not working. The website is not working. And when it works, you have to be very lucky. Some people may have been able to do it, but we we couldn't do it. And it's just like three states that had tried the same Atlanta uh, place but we couldn't make an appointment online so i don't know what's the purpose of that if you have an online website and it doesn't work what's what's uh the point of that i i could show you what i tried to do in english and i have here the picture that says you have been blocked so i'm like what and then i show it to my husband and he says uh well i'm gonna read the HTTPS." colon slash slash atlanta dot consulado dot gob dot co slash tramites underscore servicios slash tramites underscore exterior slash cedula underscore ciudadanía so people know that i am in the right place And when I click, translate this into English or go to the English version, it says, sorry, you have been blocked. You are unable to access consulado.gov.co. So uh, I was like, okay, so if I wanted to do it in English, that's something else. So I don't know what is going on, but I want to denounce this, um, let's say, Action. Whoever is behind this has to do their job, and I just don't like it because it's a lot of effort, time, sacrifice from all of us to try to do transparent process for this uh, peace world in Colombia. But it needs help from all of us. It's just not one one side of the story here. People need to know what is going on abroad too.
1: Well, right now we're going to now talk about uh, Rebecca, the German tourist who was deported a couple of weeks ago now or a week and a half ago now. Uh, A lot of uh, scandal, a lot of controversy surrounding her affiliation to the Primera Línea or the front line in Colombia, in Cali. And then, of course, what has been going on. Ever since, she wrote on her Facebook page a sort of like a love letter to Colombia. Also, it's a memorial in memory of her friend, the person who accompanied her around in Cali, who tragically lost his life, had been shot 13 times. So had received 13 bullet impacts to his body in what the police are calling... It was a robbery, but uh, Rebecca herself was with him at the time and managed to escape with just scratches. But 13 bullets, to me, does not sound at all like a a random act of violence for a robbery. And so I suppose in coming weeks and months, more truth will, will out, and there will be more facts that emerge around these things. But, of course, Rebecca, a German, being involved in the front line, in the protest, has caused, well, it's divided Colombian opinion as to whether she should have been there or not, whether she had the right. Uh, I believe that everyone has a right to protest, and I believe that everyone has a right uh, to have an opinion. Uh, whether she was involved in the violent protests or not, uh, well, of course, she was there when protests went violent. Uh, the government has said that she overstayed her visa, they've said that she was involved in acts of terrorism and vandalism uh, and and well basically, yes, it, it, she stirred up a real hornet's nest when it comes to uh, this issue. So we're going to listen to her letter that was written on Facebook, first in Spanish and then it will be translated into English and I think you'll find it's quite powerful indeed. So over to you MCI.
4: Okay, so as, you, uh, as we said before, there are many of us abroad that have different groups, are working in different countries, and this petition has arrived to one of the, uh, the groups, anonim- well, anonymously, but uh, some of uh, the kids that are uh, Primera Linea, they have requested us to read it. So we're going to try to read what she wrote in uh, her Facebook page you can find her as uh, Ray Linda Marlene Sprover, and she said that I'm going to read first in Spanish, and then we will read it in English. This is just a letter that um, she wants everybody to know. She wants the world to know about here, this story. El viernes 28 a las 7:40 p.m. Murió una parte <inaudible> de mí a las 7:40 de la noche. Tuve que embarcar el vuelo a Alemania, y el momento cuando entré. Al avión falleció mi ángel de la guardia, John Sebastián Bonilla Bermúdez. Y quiero que todo el mundo sepa su nombre. Quiero que hasta el fin de este mundo se haga conocer su historia. Siento tanto dolor que no sé cómo sobrevivir. ¿Cómo aguantar este dolor que me mata adentro? Y es lo más fuerte que he sufrido en mi vida. Recibí el mensaje de su partida cuando el avión iba a despegar. Primero... No pude respirar y pensé que mi corazón iba a dejar de latir, pero después de algunos segundos empecé a gritar y gritar y llorar sin parar. Estuve en la última fila del avión y hasta que la primera fila con sus 250 pasajeros escucharon mis gritos y así hice que los pilotos cancelaran y despegué. Nadie me podía calmar hasta que el capitán vino para tratar de consolarme. Seguí gritando y llorando por los próximos 12 horas del vuelo y les juro que no aguanto más muertos. Pensé que voy a morir con él en este avión. Aterricé en en Alemania, viva, pero muerta por dentro. Después tuve que esperar hasta que todos los pasajeros hayan desembarcado y en vez de estar enojados por las molestias que causé durante todo el vuelo, cada uno nos aplaudió, nos agradeció y nos abrazó, algunos llorando por nuestra dedicación y voluntad imperpérita. Ahora les suplico con todo mi ser hacer conocido la vida de Joan Sebastián Bonilla Bermúdez. Aunque recordar todo esto es lo que aunque recordar todo esto es lo que más me duele, igual es lo más importante para mí en este momento. Les voy a contar la verdad sobre los hechos, aunque ya por solamente expresarla me pongo en peligro. Conocí a John Sebastián Bonilla Bermúdez el 3 de mayo en mi primer día en Puerto Resistencia. Lo conocí como la persona más firme y dedicada a la causa, a cambiar su país, a construir un futuro mejor para Colombia, para nuestros hijos y para la próxima generación por venir. Él dio todo para su país, cada día y noche, hasta su propio pecho y vida. Lo conocí como la persona más noble y valiente que existe en este mundo. Desde el primer día le he tenido tanto respeto y lo admiraba con todo lo que soy. Lo conocí como una persona de valores, con coraje, como nadie lo tenía. Un hombre de verdad que sabe hacer las cosas bien. Lo conocí como una persona que habla con el corazón en su mano y nunca nadie en mi vida jamás me dio abrazos tan largos y sinceros como él. Se convirtió en nuestra costumbre que compartíamos cada día De nuevo, cuando nos veíamos en Puerto Resistencia y que nos hizo olvidarnos de todo por algunos segundos. Él me permitió tener el honor de conocer su gran corazón y su alma y les juro que jamás he visto algo tan hermoso. Si me preguntan quién era para mí, ¿conocen este amor incondicional que igual existe entre una mamá y su hijo o entre Dios y sus seres humanos? Lo único que... que jamás quería fue verlo feliz lo único que jamás quería fue verlo feliz ver su sonrisa y verlo lleno de amor lo que tuvimos fue amor por la causa un amor platónico que compartimos por luchar codo a codo y él siempre y en cada momento me trató con todo el respeto de este mundo hay una cita que me gusta mucho se las dejo por acá No es como el amor a primera vista en realidad. Es más como si la gravedad se moviera de repente. Ya no es la tierra que te retiene aquí. Ella es quien lo hace. Y nada importa más que ella. Y harías cualquier cosa por ella. Sería cualquier cosa por ella. Te conviertes en lo que ella necesita que seas, ya sea un protector o un amante o un amigo. Cuando empezaron las amenazas de muerte contra él por su dedicación a las protestas, Yo traté con todo de convencerle que se aleje de Puerto Resistencia, pero él estaba tan comprometido a la causa, tan enfocado a mejorar su país que primero no aceptó ningún consejo. La situación se volvió más y más complicada. Los dos recibimos más amenazas con nuestra vida, así que los dos tomamos la dura decisión de alejarnos del movimiento de la resistencia. El 22 de julio, el día del atentado, Él me contactó en la mañana para preguntar si quería verme con él, para hablar sobre las amenazas y todo lo que vivimos durante nuestro tiempo en Puerto Resistencia. También yo quería verlo para decirle muchas cosas que antes nunca podía y para que por fin me haga caso y que deje todas sus actividades en las protestas para asegurar su integridad. Fue la primera vez que nos vimos fuera de dos puntos de manifestación, de los puntos de manifestación. Nos encontramos en el parque del barrio Las Ceibas, al lado de la autopista en Bolívar, y el destino al menos nos regaló una hora de estar vivos y juntos hasta que nos quitó todo con el atentado. A las 9 y 30 pm cambió toda mi vida cuando vino este sujeto y nos empezó a atacar a tiros sin hablar y sin parar. Llena de su sangre tenía que gritar por cinco minutos a todo pulmón hasta que por fin alguien nos ayudó por miedo. Nadie nos, por miedo, nadie allá se quería meter. Tuvimos que llevarlo a tres hospitales porque los dos primeros estuvieron llenos. Y todo el tiempo él nunca se quejó, él luchó como el león que es. Lo único que siempre me pidió fue: no me dejes solo, no me dejes solo nunca. Y yo le cumplí esa promesa que le di en esa noche. Tomé su mano y nunca le dejé. Y en el hospital estaba día y noche a su lado para proteger y cuidarlo. Me dijeron que iban por mí, que me iban a buscar en el hospital y matar a mí también por seguir viva. Yo le respondí que así será entonces, pero que nunca lo voy a dejar como él nunca me hubiera dejado a mí. Hasta que me detuvieron y me, me expulsaron. Cuando vino el mensaje de su muerte, me quedé sin aire. Después, cuando por fin podía respirar de nuevo, mis primeras palabras fueron... Él murió porque yo le dejé solo y las grité por todo el avión, pero el dolor más insoportable todavía es nunca haber podido despedirme de él. El funeral está por empezar en estos momentos y lo único de mí que le va a acompañar es mi casco que siempre llevé conmigo y que ahora está en las manos de su hermosa mamá, D.E. Dios da sus batallas más duras a sus guerreros más berracos. Don Sebastián Bonilla Bermúdez luchó tan fuerte y bravo por 142 horas. Él dio su vida por su patria y por ustedes. Que su muerte nunca sea en vano. Desde lo más profundo de mi alma le suplico a toda Colombia, no más muertos, no más sangre, no más odio, no más guerra entre nosotros mismos. Todos somos pueblo y el amor siempre será la respuesta. Y lo único que quiero decir a quienes lo asesinaron a sangre fría es que ensuciaron el nombre de Colombia a nivel mundial con vergüenza porque mataron a un gran guía y líder con un corazón puro y junto a él una parte de mi vida. Pero también lo han convertido en una leyenda y ahora está inmortal. Me regalaron este dolor profundo que voy a sentir hasta el resto de mi vida ojalá que les dé la satisfacción que buscaban Sol, que solo Dios les juzgue y brinde su castigo merecido pero al cielo nunca van a llegar jamás amén compartir sobre su vida y dejar este mundo saber que él fue uno de los seres humanos más extraordinarios que he conocido en mi vida es lo único que me mantiene viva ahora y yo estoy dispuesta a aguantar todo el dolor y nunca me arrepentiría de haberlo conocido llegar a Puerto Resistencia fue lo mejor que me ha pasado porque me trajo a él y estoy agradecida por eso y lo digo con todo mi orgullo aunque el dolor plenamente me está matando saber que por su homicidio, homicidio probablemente nunca habrá justicia en Colombia me está partiendo el corazón en pedazos por eso les pido que por favor ayúdenme para que su muerte al menos no haya sido en vano sino el inicio del cambio pacífico en este país Dejarlo ser conocido como el héroe que es. A su familia y a mí nos ayudará a sobrevivir. Pero ahora saben que hubo un hombre llamado John Sebastián Bonilla Bermúdez y que él me salvó de todas las formas posibles que alguien puede ser salvado. Ni siquiera tengo una foto junto a él. Lo único que jamás vamos a tener son estas dos capturas de pantalla. La entrevista del 25 de mayo que me hizo Don Alberto del Canal 2 cuando él nunca se fue de mi lado y el 22 de julio en el hospital universitario, cuando yo nunca me fui del lado de él. Esta publicación va en honor y el nombre de cada herido y muerto que ha sufrido en Colombia desde el 28 de abril de 2021, cuando empezó el paro nacional. Que ninguna víctima se quede en silencio, que cada nombre sea recordado para siempre. Caleño líder del Container 1 Puerto Resistencia presente. Linda Marlene's poem. And now we're gonna see the version in
3: English. so I'm going to read the letter in English now. On July 28th at 7.40 PM, a part of me died. At 7.40 that night, I had to board a flight to Germany. The moment when I entered the plane, my guardian angel, John Sebastian Bonizia Bermudez, passed away and I want everyone to know his name. I want his story to be known until the end of the world. I feel so much pain that I do not know how to survive. How do I endure this pain that kills me from the inside? This is the strongest thing that I have suffered in my entire life. I got the message during my departure right when the plane was about to take off. At first, I couldn't breathe and I thought my heart was going to stop beating. But after a few seconds, I started screaming and screaming and crying, literally nonstop. I was in the last row of the plane, and everyone, even those in the front, all 250 passengers, heard my screams. I even made the pilot cancel the takeoff. No one could calm me down, and even the captain himself came to try to comfort me. I kept screaming and crying for the next 12 hours during the flight, and I swear I can't take any more death. I thought, I'm going to die also, right here on this plane. I landed in Germany alive, yet I was dead inside. I had to wait until all the passengers had disembarked. But instead of being angry at the inconvenience I had caused all of them during the entire flight, each of them applauded, gave thanks and hugs, some even crying too, for the dedication and undaunted will. Now I beg you, with all of my being, to make the life of John Sebastian Bonizia Bermudez known. Although remembering everything is what hurts me the most, it is still the most important thing to me right now. I'm going to tell you the truth and the facts, although just by expressing it, I put myself in danger. I met John Sebastian Bonilla Bermudez on May 3rd, on my first day in Puerto Resistencia. I knew him as the most firm and dedicated person to the cause of changing his country, to building a better future for Colombia, for the children, and the next generations to come. He gave everything for his country, every day and night, even his own heart and life. I knew him as the most noble and courageous person that exists in this world. From the first day, I have had so much respect for him, and I have admired him with everything that I am. I knew him as a person of values, with courage like no one else has, a real man who knows how to do things well. I knew him as a person who speaks with his heart, and no one in my life ever gave me hugs as sincerely as he did. Hugging became kind of our habit that we shared every day when we met in Puerto Resistencia. Hugs made us forget everything for a few seconds. He allowed me the honor of knowing his great heart and soul, and I swear I've never seen anything so beautiful as that. If you ask me, who was he to me? I would say, do you know what unconditional love is? It is the same between the mother and her child, between God and his human beings. The only thing I ever wanted to see was him be happy, to see his smile and see him full of love. What we had was a love for the cause, a platonic love that we share for fighting side by side. He always treated me with all the respect in the world. There is a quote that I really like, and I wish to share it with you here. It's not like love at first sight, really. It's more like gravity is suddenly moving. It's no longer the earth that holds you here. She's the one who does it. And nothing matters more than her. You would do anything for her, and you would be anything for her. You become what she needs you to be, be it a protector, a lover, or a friend. When the death threats against him began for his dedication to the protests, I tried hard to convince him to stay away from Puerto Resistencia. But he was so committed to the cause, so focused on improving his country, that he wouldn't take any of my advice. The situation became more and more complicated, and we received more threats against our lives So we both made the tough decision to move away from the resistance movement. On July 22nd, the day of the attack, he contacted me that morning to ask if I wanted to meet him to talk about the threats and everything else we had experienced during our time there. I also wanted to see him and tell him things that I never could before. I wanted him to finally listen to me and stop all his activities in the protests to ensure his own safety. It was the first time we met outside the demonstrations we were in the Las Siebas neighborhood park next to the Simón Bolívar Highway. Destiny gave us at least that one hour of being alive together before taking everything from us with the attack. At 9.30 p.m., my whole life changed when a guy came and started shooting us without speaking and without stopping. Now covered in his blood, I had to scream for five minutes at the top of my lungs until finally someone helped us. No one there wanted to help us out of fear. We had to take him to three hospitals because the first two were full. All this time, he never complained. He fought like the lion that he is. The only thing he ever asked me was, please don't leave me alone. Never leave me alone. And I kept that promise that I gave him that night. I took his hand and I never left him. I was by his side day and night in the hospital to protect and take care of him. They told me that they were going to get me. They told me they were going to look for me in the hospital and kill me too for staying alive. I replied, so be it, but that I will never leave him as he would never have left me. But later they did detain me and extradite me. When the message of his death came, I gasped. Later, when I could finally breathe again, my first words were, he died because I left him alone. And I yelled them over and over and over during the flight. But the most unbearable pain is that I will never be able to say goodbye to him. The funeral is about to begin right now, and the only thing about me that will be with him is my helmet that I always carried. The helmet is now in the hands of his beautiful mom. God gives his toughest battles to his toughest warriors. John Sebastian Bonilla Bermudez fought so strong and so brave for 142 hours. He gave his life for his country and for you. May his death never be in vain. From the depths of my soul, I beg all of Colombia, no more death, no more blood, no more hate, no more war. We are people and love will always be the answer. The only thing I want to say to those who murdered him in cold blood is this, that they dirty the name of Columbia worldwide with shame because they killed a great guide and leader with a pure heart and with him a part of my life too. But they have also turned him into a legend and now he is immortal. They gave me this deep pain that I will feel for the rest of my life. Hopefully it gives them the satisfaction they were looking for. And only God judges them and provides their deserved punishment, but never shall they go to heaven. Never. Amen. Sharing about his life and letting the world know that he was one of the most extraordinary human beings I have ever met is the only thing that keeps me alive right now. I am willing to put up with all the pain, and I'll never regret having met him. Arriving in Porto Resistencia was the best thing that ever happened to me because it brought me to him. I am grateful for that, and I say it with all my pride, and even though the pain is fully killing me. Knowing that his murder there will probably never be any justice in Colombia is breaking my heart into pieces. That is why I ask you to please help me so that his death was at least not in vain, but rather the beginning of a peaceful change in Colombia. Let him be known as the hero that he is, and this will help his family and me to survive. Now they know that there was a man named John Sebastian Bonilla Bermudez, and that he saved me in every possible way that someone can be saved. I don't even have a photo together with him. The only thing they will never have are these two screenshots. One is the interview on May 25th that Don Alberto from Channel 2 gave me. The second is on July 22nd at the university hospital where I never left his side. This publication goes out to honor the name of each and every injured and dead in Colombia that has suffered since April 28th, 2021, when the national strike began. Let no victim remain silent and may each name be remembered forever. Galeno leading container one. Puerto Resistencia presented.
1: Thank you, MCI, for reading that in Spanish. And thank you, Michael, for the translation into English. As you'll note, it's a very powerful, uh, emotive piece of writing that was on her Facebook page. It uh, has been printed and run in Colombia in the mainstream press as well. Um, well, we can all have an opinion on whether Rebecca was correct in her actions of uh, sort of joining up to the protests was she behaving like a European Che Guevara coming out and to, you know sort of participating in error in something that she didn 't fully understand? I know plenty of people that think the same uh, think that, uh, or was she someone trying to raise the profile of a situation that is untenable in Colombia? in a demonstration of solidarity to impress upon the world that the issues in Colombia are, well, greater than anyone could possibly have imagined. So, I mean, you're welcome to your own thoughts on these. So this has been episode, or well, part two of our two-part series on speaking to the Primera Línea and speaking to people campaigning from overseas. So we not just had people from the front line in uh, southwestern Colombia, same people as last week uh, of course maintaining their anonymity and talking to us about how they wish things to change how they wish to see things altered for an improvement in colombia for future generations of course we heard from monica Hurtado up there in minnesota telling us about how colombians can help from overseas we heard from mci regarding the difficulties People are encountering in registering their ID cards to vote. Of course, this is incredibly important. However way you vote, whichever way you vote, get out and vote. It doesn't matter. Register those cedulas, those ID cards. And of course a big thank you to Michael for his patience and translations and reading um reading out the translations for us here. So plenty, plenty to think about on this episode three hundred and eighty seven of the Columbia Calling Podcast changing the topic somewhat thank you again to emily hart for the news segment and how about that news drop now on mondays exclusive to subscribers on patreon of the columbia calling podcast that's one dollar a month and you get direct to your telephone a news audio file, an audio file with Columbia News. So everything you need to know about what's going on in Colombia in under five minutes in an audio file, news that has been collated and it has been digested and interpreted for you right to your phone. So perfect for, let's say, a little journey. I don't know, jumping on the bus, sitting in the car, what have you. Eh, sign up. So go to patreon.com, Columbia Calling, for the $1 tier you can get that delivered to your phone on a weekly basis so it's a pretty awesome pretty awesome deal we've got there and that was all Emily Hart our journalist our newscaster that was her idea and so we're striving and driving ahead with this big plan uh, next week, we'll be back, of course, with episode 388 and discussing more things columbia related Please get in touch if you'd like to hear from anyone in particular or like a subject um, dealt with. You know, of course, if we're open to all suggestions here at the Columbia Calling Podcast. So thank you again for listening. Thank you to all the participants this week. Stay safe, stay well, and, of course, have a good week. Bye-bye. <laughs>